Welcome. You are listening to a sermon preached at Church at the Armory. If you like what you hear, share it. God bless you. Hallelujah. Praise God. Technically, by a uh, bad church tradition, I'm supposed to be done in like 29 minutes. Or no, not 29. 39 minutes. And... um, And so, uh, well, to try to make that happen, let's hurry up and get this show on the road. (laughs) It'll never happen, right? Are you recording this? Praise God. All right. Um, How many of y'all listen to the podcast or or share it with somebody? Okay, good. All right. If you you are, that's why I ask for recording, not because I want to hear my own voice, but because we put it on a podcast. If you miss a week, you can listen to it. Um, Let's pray real fast. Holy, Holy Spirit, we love you. We are so grateful. Our hearts are already very full with the spirit that we've experienced this morning. So I pray that you would just give us some instruction from the word. Pray according to Ephesians chapter 1, 17, that you give us a spirit of wisdom, revelation, and knowledge of Christ. Pray that the eyes of our understanding would be opened, that we may understand how much you love us. And I pray, God, that we would become complete in you, a mature man, fully grown, not lacking for anything, God, that we would uh, continue to grow into the fullness of Christ. I pray, God, that everywhere where the enemy would distract and try to tear down, everywhere where the enemy would bring um, pseudo-Christianity or pseudo-spiritual, God, where it's it's not authentic. God, we cut that off right now in Jesus' name. God, we're not playing church. We're not playing Christianity. We're not playing spiritual. God, but we want the real thing. We want the authentic. We want the true. We want the pure heart. And so I pray right now, Lord, the enemy has tried to taint clear water. God, I pray that you'd come and clean it up. And I pray, to God, that there would be something pure in our atmosphere, God, that we were, because I, I feel like we're stepping in, God, I feel like we're, I sense that you're doing something that you're very jealous about, that you'll share it with no man, that you'll share it with no, with no entity, that our hearts have to be solely in our services, solely devoted to you. And I pray, God, that you would do this thing in our midst. We love you. We're grateful, God, and we do announce your death, burial, and resurrection until you come. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said. Amen. Uh, I'm kind of a nerd. I'm going to do some announcements at the end, so don't leave before I get done with these announcements. But I'm kind of a nerd. And the thing I'm a nerd about is um, I love um, I love a bow and an arrow, okay? And um, God just made me that way. <laughs> Amen. And so I love a bow and an arrow. I love bow hunting. I love shooting my bow. I love going, me and Chet will go on Thursday nights and we'll shoot down over here at Slinging Arrows, and we just we just love shooting arrows. And so um, arrows are like something that I think about. I mean, how many of y'all think about arrows, right? I'm like, <laughs> one person, right, praise God. Uh, you should be thinking more about arrows, okay? Anyway, so, um, but I love arrows. I love the science of arrows. I love the, I love tinkering with stuff. I have stuff at home that y'all don't have, which is stuff to build an arrow out of, and it's just cool, all right? And so I'd say all that to say that um, I'm going to use an arrow as an illustration this morning to kind of talk about what makes you fly straight. That makes sense? Uh, how many of you ever know what it's like whenever you're, you've been shot out of God's bow, but you're, you're just all over the place? What makes you fly straight? And so I bought this. I, I, y'all, I got, a, I got a super duper cool case for my arrows. That's how much I like my arrows. 
<laughs> okay, y'all aren't going to laugh at all today. Okay. But I got these arrows. They're big, fat arrows. And on the back of these arrows, these things are called fletchings or veins or, uh, you know, uh, um, feathers. You know, back in the old day, they would actually use turkey feathers. And so in these things on the back... There's lots of components to arrow. There's the actual arrow itself. There's the point or a broadhead or whatever. There's the knock, the thing that goes into the string. But then but there's these things on the back, these feathers, these, these um, fletchings, these veins. This is what steers an arrow, okay? It's not like a propeller on a, on, on a ship where the propeller powers the arrow, the bow powered the arrow. These things steer the arrow. It's like a rudder. Okay, and, and so whenever you have, in this case, three fletchings on the back of this arrow, and you pull the bow back, and you launch this arrow, it doesn't fly like this. It flies like this. It's spinning in the air as it goes. And that these fletchings on the back are providing this action where it, where it spins, and it, when it spins, it spins true, and it flies straight. If I was to take my bow and I was to take one of these arrows and I was to cut one of these off, and it, they went from three to two, and I shot it out of my bow, instead of flying perfectly straight, spinning in a tight line, it would do this number. It, just, it would just do that number. That makes sense? If I took two of them off and it just had one, oh, it would be, it'd be way worse. It, that thing would fly sideways at some point. And, and so the point I'm trying to make is, is this is your life. And there's something on the back steering you. Now let's talk about what, what I mean by you. Your doctrine, what you believe about God, what you believe about attributes of God, what you believe about things, uh, they, have to be, they have to be steering your life correctly. Okay, now here's what I mean. Let's say that these fletchings represent, let's say, God. Okay, there's three fletchings on here. You have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And let's just say that you, you don't, you, you relate well to Jesus. Like most people relate well to Jesus, right? Jesus is the guy that gets us out of hell. We all relate good to him. That makes sense? Okay, but let's say you grew up in a home where you had a terrible father. He wasn't very good to you. He wasn't a good representation of what a heavenly father would be. And let's say you have a real, because of that, you've, you've always struggled with the revelation of God as a father. That makes sense? And you may be real, real, real good at seeing God as Jesus. You may real, be real good at seeing God as the Holy Spirit. But when it comes to God as a father, you kind of recoil from that thought. And what happens is, is because it takes Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to make this arrow fly straight. You understand what I'm saying? Because you because you recoil at the idea of God the Father, your arrow has a lot of. It's not as accurate as it could be. It's not. You're not hitting the mark of where your life should be hitting because you don't have the full revelation of who God is. Does that make sense? And so what we need is we need not to like just maximize our revelation of one of these veins. One of these feathers, what we need is a full revelation of God in all three. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. 
And then when we have a full revelation of those three things, and we understand the Godhead, and man, that, there's something about that, that, that part of our theology begins to fly real, real straight. And I can take this principle of what I'm saying, and I can lay it across the board to about all, all these different areas of our life and all these different areas of what we believe in our doctrine. And I can tell you, if you're, if you're kind of flying cuckoo, you know, it's because there's something that you're lacking. There's something that's not balancing out the, the theology or what you believe about God that's causing your life. Because what you believe about God dictates what you do. That makes sense? If you don't believe God um, loves you, well, then it dictates how you live. Yeah. Right? If you don't believe, and it could go, it could be, you know, what you believe about God absolutely has a bearing on your life. Okay? So, I'm going to just kind of give you a few examples to kind of get you to understand what our tendency is as humans is to Find one thing we believe about God, and we maximize that one thing, and we think that's the only thing. And we don't, live, and we don't have a balanced, balanced is not a good word, we wouldn't have a complete understanding of how God is, and it causes us to fly funny. If all I ever believed about God was that he was wrathful. Y'all out there? If the only thing I ever believed about God is that he is wrathful. Now, is, does, does God's wrath, is it real? 100%. But if that's the only thing I believe about God, how's that arrow going to fly? What's your life going to look like? What's your, what's your relationship with God going to look like? It's going to look like someone who's always trying to avoid the wrath of God. Now, it's legitimate. It should be one of the fletchings Like you, it, it's just as wrong to hit the other side uh, and, and, and say, well, uh, he's only ever whatever, loving. Or he only ever is merciful. And there's certain scriptures that say there's days when his mercy will not endure, right? His, his, his mercy won't be there. And my point is, like, you have to have the full understanding of God because it's, it's, all, it's the totality of what you believe. If you believe a, a full gospel... Let me put it this way. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Entire denominations across the world have just ripped off the Holy Spirit vein. How's that arrow flying? I can tell you, and I'm not trying to talk bad about anybody, but a lot of these denominations that have ripped off the, the spirit life are now asking questions about, can we ordain homosexual pastors? You understand what I'm saying? Because once you remove the spirit, man, it's, you're going to miss the mark down the road. Does that make sense? Uh, entire denomination built on the idea that it's Jesus only. Literally, there's segments of denominations out there with the idea that it's only Jesus. I, I'm like, I like Jesus a lot. <laughs> he's like pretty cool, right? I'm not going to say he's my homeboy. In, in light of the, the reverence uh, uh, service we just had, I don't want to call Jesus my homeboy, right? I want to say Jesus is great. I need 100% Jesus with 100% revelation of the Father, with 100% revelation of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And once I have those things, man, this arrow is going to fly. 
But see, when we start avoiding certain things, when we start compartmentalizing certain things where uh, I can accept this, but I can't accept that, about God, that the Scripture clearly teaches, we're always going to fly out of balance. I mean, look at it this way. Look at it this way. The Bible teaches that not only is God a triune being, but you're a triune being. You're a body, you're a soul, and you're a spirit. Right? Out there? Literally, that's, that's, you were created in the image and the likeness of God, a triune being, you're a triune being. So we have a lot, we, we have billions and trillion dollar industry in this, in, in America, designated to making sure the body's okay. Everything from fitness to healthcare. Trillion, I mean, mind boggling dollar industry, making sure the body's okay. Same thing. Industry, there's never, I've never heard more talk, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing, about mental health that I'm hearing right now, in your soul, mind, your will, and your emotions. And if you can focus on your body and you can focus on your your soul, but you never pay attention to your spirit, man. Y'all out there? You never read your Bible. You never go to church unless it's convenient. It's the only thing left on the option block. Right? You never you never pray, you never sing, you never worship. Like you see what I'm saying? Like you can you can put think about your personal budget, how much you put into your body, how much you put into your soul, how much are you putting into your spirit? And if all I if I rip off one vein of this triune arrow, it's gonna it's gonna fly funny. And what we have in this in, in modern day America is a bunch of Christians who fly funny because they've taken the spiritual part out of it. They're doing religion on a, on a part-time basis. Y'all don't shout me down. They're doing religion on a part-time basis. They go to church when they feel like it. They go to church whenever the schedule is clear of every other opportunity to not go to church. And then they come to church, and they're not paying attention to the spirit. They're not taking attention to the household spirit. They're not paying attention to uh, the spiritual a- aptitude of their family. And so they're not, they're not praying with their family. They're not, they're not being spiritual at home. And so, but yeah, man, we'll make sure everybody has Tylenol and we'll make sure everybody has a, 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 a safe place to go decompress. And what do you, your, your, your life's going to fly, your family is going to fly funny if you're not incorporating all three of these veins. I'm teaching, I'm not preaching, I'm being sweet. Yeah, being sweet. Uh, let's talk about, I mean, literally, you could throw out almost any subject, and I could, and I could sit here and do this all day long. Let's talk about love. Let's talk about love. Love, is, yes or no, is love unconditional? The love of God? Does he love us all the time, right? He loves us. Uh, uh, the love of God, right? Uh, Romans, I think it's, is it eight, that Christ even at, when we were when we were when we were sinners, Christ loved us enough to die for us, right? Amen. So love, and so right now uh, the world's trying to define love as total acceptance of who I am and what I do in my entire lifestyle, no questions asked, right? And here's the thing: God loves us. Okay, but this would be a bad time not to say Amen. God loves us. Okay, but what we're doing is we're allowing the world, the culture, to define love as something that love isn't. And yes, yes, 
On my worst day, God loved me enough to pull me up. Amen? But that is not the total expression of love. What's the scripture also say about love? The love, uh, God, he does what to those he loves? He chastens, he rebukes, he's going to correct you. Why do we live in a world where we're teaching and believing that correction and rebuke and chastening of God is, is, is disapproval? When absolutely it's one of the signs that God loves us. And so what we want is we want an arrow void of God's correction in our heart. But then we wonder why we don't fly straight. Y'all out there? What's another, uh, uh, what's another uh, uh, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Now, the one, one reason why God can be love and, and, and one reason why God can, um, can never be questioned on the idea of love because um, is our theology that says Jesus never sinned, right? Because even Jesus has obeyed. Total, Jesus fulfilled the commandment of his own teaching that if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. He never broke one of God. Because he is, he is, he is, his love is not only who he is, it's also the expression of how he lives. That makes sense? And so we want to say things like, um, you know, well, and, and I'm not trying to be rude or anything, but we want to say when somebody's living a life of practicing sin or habitual sin, and then you want to say, you want to talk to them about it, and you want to say, hey, let's, let, there's a better life, there's a better way. Yeah, but God loves me. And, what there's, and here's the problem with that statement, is that what they're saying is a fact, but their life's still flying like this. Because they only want to acknowledge one vein of love. Does that make sense? You understand what I'm saying? And your life is not going to fly straight unless you is 100% bought in to the love of God unconditionally and 100% bought into the love of God that says I'm going to love him and obey his commandments and 100% bought into the love of God that says he loves me so much he will uh, uh, put me uh, in check when I need to be in check. Um, I recently ran across in my study on the Sermon on the Mount um, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled so I've been studying that one because righteousness is kind of a hard uh, it can be a tricky subject theologically to kind of get your head all the way around so there's three veins when it comes to righteousness so this is what the righteousness means okay so I'm teaching, right? Let's go to, uh, put the first scripture up there, Mark. There's three areas. John Stott's got my favorite teaching on the righteousness of God. First area of righteousness would be God's imputed righteousness or our positional righteousness. You understand what I say when I say that? What I'm saying by that is there is nay a person in the room who has earned their righteousness with God. Raise your hand if you earned it. Right? None of us. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, By His, capital H, that's God, by His doing, you are in Christ. Then if, 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 if nothing's going to get you out of your seat to make you go, yes, amen, that one ought to get you out of your seat and make you yes, amen. By His doing, I am in Christ. Daniel talking about being hidden in Christ. Religion teaches you that if you can, uh, if you can put yourself in Christ, if you live this and act this certain way, 
right? That's religion. That's, that's, that's not what this scripture teaches. 1 Corinthians 1.30, by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us. Christ in us is wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption. No person in this room is wise on their own. That's the biggest amen of the day. Man. My favorite, when I'm not, Missy and I have a joke. We have this running joke. Um, uh, Proverbs 30, verse 2. Um, now, in a more modern translation, it'll say it. I'm going to say the S word so y'all just brace yourselves, okay? But Proverbs 30, verse 2 says, Surely I'm more stupid than any, than any man and do not have the understanding of a man. And there's times when I might get a little sassy with my wife and she'll go, Chester, Proverbs 30, verse 2. Amen. <laughs> now, men, what you need to say back to her is Judges 16, 16. Daily, she nagged him until he was tired unto death. <laughs> Proverbs 30, verse 2. Anyway, so... Uh, <laughs> okay, so we had this running joke. Here's the, but what, here's the part I'm trying to say is like all of us without God's wisdom are not very wise in the flesh. All of us. And so I, I, can't, I can read every book that's ever been written and still be as uh, unwise in the flesh. Because wisdom doesn't come from knowledge. Wisdom comes from God. Uh, when, G, when, when Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus said, I, Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. Amen. That's a revelation from heaven. That, that one statement is the most wisest thing you've ever said in your life, and God said it to you. That's the only reason you said it. Amen. That makes sense? And so, uh, wisdom. But same thing as righteousness. Raise your hand if you've ever tried to earn the righteousness of God. Both hands are up right here. Right here. We've all been in some, some stage in our walk with God where we're trying to earn his righteousness. Can't be done. His righteousness. Next verse. The next verse. Well, uh, I love this verse. This is one of my favorite verses. He made him. Both of those are capital. He made him. Right there is a theological bomb going off in our heads, right? He made him who knew no sin because the son loves the father. You understand what I'm saying? Because one of the signs of love is that you obey his commandments. You keep his commandments. The son loves the father. There will be no sin ever in him. That makes sense? Now he had to, hey, look, look, the temptation was real. It wasn't a fake pseudo-temptation. The tempta- Jesus could have sinned. You see what I'm saying? He could, have den- he, he could have bowed down and all the kingdom of the world would have been his, but then he would have, not, he, he would have, he would have absolutely broken, first of all, his covenant, his love covenant to the Father. And so the th- he, he, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Communion takers. He who knew no sin... Became sin uh, to know, he who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become righteousness. Nowhere in there did it say what you did, because what you did isn't the point. And so one of the veins about the about the, the idea of righteousness or the doctrine of righteousness, if you want to, is the idea that Christ 
came, died, and imputed the righteousness unto us. And that should make us very, very happy. But that's one of the veins when it comes to the total teaching of righteousness. Making our making us blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And here's the problem. Look at me all across the room. Is in our hunger and thirst for righteousness, we learn that truth, and then we say that's it. That's all that matters when it comes to the doctrine of righteousness. And that's not all the scripture teaches. First John 3, little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. So not only am, is righteousness imputed to me, but it's also expected to me as a child of God. Little children, as a child of God, to practice righteousness. That's moral righteousness. There's imputed righteousness, positional righteousness. There's moral righteousness. This is why it feels so wrong whenever you're talking to somebody and they live in blatant, open sin. I mean, you can call it whatever it is, adultery, homosexuality, hatred, uh, racism, uh, murder, and, and they still go, it doesn't matter, doesn't matter. I'm the righteousness of God. You see what I'm saying? Because what you're saying is a fact, but is your life still spinning like this? Because he who practices righteousness is righteousness. Now, the problem the church has, the problem the church has is we, well, we build camps. And, and we'll have one camp who lives in this vein only, and we'll have another camp who lives in this vein only. You understand what I'm saying? And really, what we have to have is all three of the veins to fly the straightest. Um, the, the third righteousness that I want to talk about just real quick, John Stott talked about, is social righteousness. This one, this one for all of us, uh, 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 it, it, it can kind of be kind of tricky right here. Social righteousness is this. Let's read, let's read a couple of verses. Proverbs chapter, I think, 14. Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a disgrace to any people. So there's a third vein, and it's the vein of not just my personal righteousness, but what, but what righteous present or absent is doing to the social structure which I live in. i got to be concerned about that too. Um. It's going to be controversial. I'm not trying to be controversial. Okay? This is going to be controversial. Um, you'll hear really, really conservative people say something like this. Super, super conservative people. And they'll say, I just want government out of, like, everything. Let's talk about marriage for a second. And that, I understand what they're saying. But they'll say, what, a peop what people do in their bedroom is no, is no consequence to me. Well, actually, in a sense of social justice... Meaning, what that act does to the fabric of our society is part of our concern as believers. Amen. Let, let, read, read this. Read the Proverbs 30, 29. When righteous increase, the people rejoice. When the wicked man rules, people groan. 
Now, don't, if you jump straight to a political right there, if you jump straight to, the, to somebody in charge in a, a house painted white, y'all understand what I'm saying? If that's the first thing you think of when you read this, that's part of the problem we have in America. The idea here is this. If you believe God's righteousness is imputed to you, and you believe, man, you're a very moral person, but you don't care about the racism that happens in your city. You don't care about the, the abortion happening in your nation. You don't care about the, shall I go on? All of this, all the situations that create an environment that our children have to grow up in. And you just want to write those things off as like, well, that's not my business. I'm a very moral person. I'm, and you see what I'm saying? Like, no, it still causes the arrow of your life or your family to fly crazy. You understand what I'm saying to you? Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Like, whenever you hear a church and they preach on these truths of like what sin is and what sin is it, and you want to just jump on this bandwagon and say, man, they're so legalistic and that's not what we, what we need is love. And you really, you're really only identifying one of the feathers of love when you say that, by the way. Yeah, and what you're saying is, what you're saying is we don't care what happens in our society. We don't care what kind of world our children grow up in. When God actually tells us to care about these things. Jesus cared so much about what his temple looked like, he walked in and flipped tables. And it was what we call, what was it? What, what, what do we call that when he did that? Righteous indignation. Am I telling you to get mad and go, you know, blow something up like we did back in the 80s and the 90s, abortion? I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. If that's what you heard, that's the devil talking to you. Okay? But what I am saying is, what I am saying is, if, if I can believe God imputed his righteousness to me, and, if I, and, I, and I live, you know, righteously, but I don't care. I think it's almost impossible when you do those two things. But I don't care righteously what's happening in our, in our city. Forget about the country. Don't think White House. Don't think Democrat. Don't think Republican. Think about your city. When it doesn't bother you that people are, when you're, when you're not grieved by violence in our town, when you're not grieved by drugs in our streets. You see what I'm saying? When these things are just like, well, that's just, that's just how it is. So what we have, ironically, though, is the church world is built. Think about righteousness for a second. The church world has built itself like this. You'll have one church, and they'll maximize. On, they'll, all they'll teach is imputed righteousness. And they'll say things, it doesn't matter how you live, Christ's righteousness on you. And that's, that's what they maximize. It's a, what I call the, the sloppy grace. The, uh, 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 Bonhoeffer actually called it the cheap grace people. And you have another people. Okay, that's one church. And they'll, and they'll maximize in that one vein only. Then you have another church. This is the church across town. And they're going to teach uh, that basically you're only righteous if you live righteously. And if you ever mess up, you've lost all your righteousness. And that's called legalism. In the Greek, it's called stupidity, okay? Right? And, and so you have a church built on this, this one vein that's got a hint of fact in it, but it's not the truth because the truth, uh, let me say, how does the arrow fly true? You have one church built on this vein, you have another church built on this thing, and then you have another church built on a social gospel. And all they want to talk about is, the only thing they want to talk about 
is racism, and the only thing I want to talk about is, 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 is politics, and, and you see what I'm saying? And so you can find those three churches in America right now. Does that make sense? You can find those three churches in America right now. But what's hard to find is a church who's, who's flying true, that's teaching all those things, not just 33.3% and 33.3% and 33.3%, but who's teaching those things. We are 100% imputed. We're 100% practicing righteousness. And we're 100% concerned about the unborn. And all the other stuff. We're 100% convinced that God placed us in El Dorado for such a time as this that righteousness may dwell in our city. And it's our job and our responsibility as a church to pray it into existence and to serve it into existence. Does that make sense? And so that kind of, that kind of church, man, that thing flies true. But see, if I take off, if I strip one of these off, Let's just say if I strip off uh, imputed righteousness and I build a church, I say I, we build a church where we're just going to teach it. Everybody, it, I mean, when you come through the door on Sunday morning, we got a checklist. Did you do this week, this week? <laughs> yes. Did you say a bad word this week? Check. You understand what I'm saying? I grew up in that church sometimes. If you sin this week, you better come get saved. Because if you if you uh, if you don't repent, then the rapture happens. You're toast. <laughs> how many of y'all grew up in that church? Raise your hand. Okay. Yeah. How many of y'all enjoyed growing up in that church? Oh, good job. All right. So, <laughs> so you see, what I'm saying like nobody enjoyed going to church. And why? There's a hint of truth there, sorta. But the idea, but the idea is that arrow. Look, and I found out that people who grew up in legalistic churches are the ones who went the most wild. You know, <laughs> you know why? You know why? Because the more you talk about what not to do, the more our flesh wants to go do it. Doesn't, that, isn't that true? And so what, we, but what, I'm, what I'm saying is the mistake that a lot of us who grew up in that era are making is that we're just chipping that off the vein. We're chipping that vein right off the era. But we're not flying any truer than we, than we did. See what I'm saying? The, what we got to have is a full understanding of righteousness in all these areas. And that comes to righteousness, that comes to love, that comes to, uh, to all. Any, really, you could break down any doctrine and you could put it on this era example. That's why I think God created bows and arrows so we could have this Sunday right here. Amen? Next Sunday, I'm going to talk about this same thing. First Sunday, uh, the last Sunday before we go back to school, we're going to pray for our children. I'm going to talk about this. Okay? All you parents, listen up. I'm going to talk about this. My, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and get the cat out of the bag so that if you want to skip next Sunday, uh, you can do that. I have a tattoo. Yes. <laughs> Now, according to this one feather that I grew up in, <laughs> it's a joke. I have a tattoo. Uh, I can't show you the tattoo because, not anyway, it's right here. Okay, and uh, and I just I don't tan there. And so anyway, so and so I can't show you this tattoo. The tattoo is three arrows, one arrow like this, one arrow like this, and a crisscrossing. And there's a ribbon that runs around all three of them, and it's red representing the blood of Jesus, and inside of that ribbon, it's got Alexis, Hannah, and Chester the Fourth, 
in Proverbs 1, or not Proverbs, Psalm 127. Listen to me. Like arrows in the hand of a skilled warrior are children's are, are, are children born in one's youth, and blessed he whose quiver is full of them. And next Sunday, after church, Mama and I will pull back a bow on one of those arrows, and we'll drop a kid off at college. In a year from now, in May, we'll pull back the bow, and we'll give away a daughter into marriage. And my whole sermon is, what kind of arrows are we building? Because right now I'm at the launching phase. Some of you are still in the arrow building phase. I'm at the launching phase, and I literally asked my daughter yesterday, did we do a good job? Because it's scary. But I want, when, when, when Hannah gets launched next week, I want confidence that she's going to fly straight. Here's the thing, is that I can't wait till the week before to prep that arrow. So that's why I preached this message to get us all set up for next week, really, because that's where the heat is.